thank God. Oh, it's awesome. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I pray that today you would know him, that he would draw you close to his side today. You'll know what that's like maybe by the end of the service, we pray. Well, this will conclude my second sermon series of the year in what we have called the Year of the Family. And the first sermon series, if you remember, was about our, our families as husbands and wives, as uh, dads and children, moms and children, the relationships that we have in our homes. And we took several Sundays and focused on our families, which are under great attack today in our country and in the world. And uh, I, I know that I was helped. I'm always helped by just taking time to focus on a particular area in my life that I could always use some improvement in. And as a, as a dad, as a husband, I know that I need that. And so I really enjoyed focusing on our families. The second sermon series has been What Brings the Glory Down in the Church. And we've talked about our church family. We'll continue uh, with along those lines this summer on June the, the 22nd. We'll, we'll start a new sermon series. Uh, entitled, What is a a Biblical Model of a New Testament Church? And we'll begin to look at some of the things that we've been looking at together as uh, as men in our church. Some of the men that uh, the deacons assigned to just just look at what does it mean to be a church in the New Testament and how does that look today? So I'm really excited about sharing some of those messages with you again as we look at what it means to be a church member, a part of a faith Family, And I love that word family. I really do. I, uh, I'm glad we, we use that often here at Gospel Light. But church is supposed to be a place where the glory comes down. And every now and then this happens, but that screen went out on me. And I think I need to ask my dear beloved Ken, because we do have, every now and then, when you have technology, things can go haywire. And so you're, you see that screen, and I see nothing. All right. And uh, so it might help me just a little bit for verses and so forth. But Ken's a good man, and he looks nice today. And uh, so I made sure of that. All right. Um, you know, sadly, and, and, and let me introduce the message by saying this. Sadly, we've kind of gotten our eye I think, off the ball when it comes to, to church. And I, I know there's a number of reasons why that can happen. We talked about last week how prayer just sort of is the first thing in, in the Christian life that sort of crawls off the table, and we just wonder where it went. And sometimes I think as a church family, we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, where, where have these things gone? Where did we miss it? How did we get... When it comes to, when we think about the messages that we've preached here, the, the powerful preaching of God's word is the first thing that brings glory down in the church. But why is it today it seems as if that so much of preaching is, is, uh, is opinionated or storytelling versus just good, strong, expository preaching in the word of God? And, and, and I've not always been that kind of preacher. But, you know, I like the song, I'm Coming Back to a heart of worship. I'm coming back to all of these things. I hope you're coming back with me. And, and together we begin to realize that without the, pro- the proclaiming of God's word, that the glory will not come down in our church. We secondly talked about the passionate worship of God's son. And I don't know where it started, the shoulders up worship. I know I've, I've always been in the church that has been very little experience very uh, there's been very little expression of worship to jesus it's actually been preached against uh, that we you know we we come to church to sing a couple of hymns maybe first second and last 
We don't get out of a, a little hymn book, whichever one is your favorite. I know there's, uh, I think, some folks in some parts of the country that call it the red book, and other parts of the country that they have their, their favorite hymn book, and, and they, they stick to that book and don't get out of it. I don't know why we never thought about the Bible talking about new songs and why nobody ever stood up and said, you know, all these hymns used to be new songs. I don't know where we lost that. I don't know who got crazy on us. I just know I kind of jumped in there, and I've kind of come back to the Bible and realized that worship is expressive, and that if I read my Bible word for word, I find out that passionate worship of God's Son is totally acceptable to Jesus, and he actually likes it sometimes really loud, and, 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 and that's just in the Scripture. So we're coming back to that. Why? Because we just tired of stale church. We want God to move again. We don't want to just meet together, sit, soak, and sour. We, we want to be, we want to, we want to have God come and meet with us. And so that's kind of where, where I've been. The third thing we've talked about is last week, the fervent prayer of God's people. I'm not sure where, where we just uh, kind of got caught up in this opening prayer and closing prayer when the word of God says that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And so we're kind of coming back to prayer. And, and prayer has always been a, a, an important part of our church. But, but again, it just seems to, at times, be hard to keep it going. It seems that, you know, you announce a concert and you can pack the building. You announce a prayer meeting and you have five people come. Not sure why. I think God's much more concerned about a prayer meeting than he would be a concert. But for some reason, God's people will pack a stadium to sing, but we pack a bathroom to pray. And so we've got to come back to prayer. We've got to come back to that in fervent prayer. And, you know, I'm burdened about how we pray. And and do we talk to God from our hearts? I don't mean to be judgmental, but I want you to know that what... I just want you to know in my heart that um, I'm really trying to talk to God these days. I'm really not trying to to read a prayer or say something really quick and uh, and close it off. Just just name amen, you know. I don't think I would talk to you like that. You know, when when, when I talk to my wife and I'm leaving her, it's, it's focused attention. When I talk to God, I want it to be focused attention. Wherever I'm at, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm learning. I guess that's why the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So I'm really learning how to pray and talk to God, just like I'm learning how to talk to my wife and through the scriptures, how to treat her properly, how not to raise my voice, but to be kind. Those are things that scripture teaches, and how we talk to God uh, is important as well. And so these are things that we've talked about. Now today, to close the series out, we're going to finish off with the very last thing that I believe. And by the way, you know, four things isn't very many things, isn't it? I mean, really, it really boils down to these four things. The preaching of God's word, the worship of God's son, and the praying of God's people, and the bold witness of every believer. The bold witness of every single believer. And so today, I want to talk to you about someone. Someone. It could be your mother. could be your father. could be your brother. could be a sister. could be a neighbor. could be a child. And as best you know, as we sit here today in this building, they do not know Jesus Christ personally. Someone you know. You see, God has only given one gift of eternal life. Only one. And there is only one plan of salvation. And God has provided that plan. God himself, the Bible says, sent his only son. His son, Jesus, who lived a sinless life. 
who at the very end of his life laid it down. He willingly laid it down. And he was nailed to a cross. He shed his blood. He was buried. But thank God, three days later, he rose again to prove that he was who he said he was. And that is God. And Jesus today is saving sinners. He's saving people. He's calling people to himself. And that's what, that's what we're talking about today is the plan of salvation. And if we turn from our sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith, the Bible says we can be forgiven. I love that word. Don't you? Forgiven. I like the songs that have recently been written that have been just, the name of the song is Forgiven. You know, That's just a good title for a song. Forgiveness. Forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. That's good news. That's, that's amen news. That's hallelujah news. You can be forgiven. I can be forgiven. That means you can have your sins washed away and forgiven by a holy God. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ who took the punishment for your sin upon himself. That's awesome. Everybody say that with me. That's awesome. Ready? One, two, three. That is awesome. That's more than this. It's awesome. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin. Hey, if you don't think that's awesome, just never get saved, die, go to hell, spend an eternity there, and tell me if it's not awesome that you don't have to do that. Amen. It's awesome. It's an awesome thing to know Jesus. And if you've received this free gift of eternal life by faith, then the Bible says you've been saved. You've been born again. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You have been converted. And so what I'd like to challenge you to do is just write down someone's name. Maybe even right now. Write their name down. Someone that you know. Someone that you know in your life. Some associate. Somebody you work with. Somebody that you come in contact with on a semi-regular basis. Write their name down. This is someone that as far as you know does not know Jesus personally. And I want you to think about them throughout this message. So how do we get the good news to those people? How do we do that? What does the Bible say about getting the good news out? And, and, and what does that have to do with God, God's glory? What does that have to do with God's glory being shown in the church? Well, look with me, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, our text. You're there, and, and I'm there now. And I want you to fill in the first blank before I begin to give these thoughts. And that is this, that God's work of salvation requires human witness. God's work of salvation requires human witness. And it should be on the screen, and you'll see that first blank to fill in. God's work of salvation requires human witness. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Look at that with me. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. That word savor, another word would be fragrance. For we are unto God a sweet fragrance, a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. And to the other, the, the, the savor or the fragrance of life unto life. And who? Who? Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God... But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. 
Now, what I'd like for you to do is notice with me as we begin to lay the foundation for this message, and I'd like for you to pay attention because there is so much Bible to see here. It's just wonderful, and I'm going to hope that the Holy Spirit will do the talking this morning and not Eric's personality. I don't want to get in the way of God working in your heart when it comes to being a witness for him and in, in a bold witness for him. So notice, first of all, in our text, the words, now, thanks be to God, verse 14, which causeth, which always causeth who? Somebody tell me, who? Us. He causeth us to triumph. That's, that's me and you. So the Bible's speaking here of, of you and of me, those of us who, who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Us again being who? Me and you. So the Bible here is speaking of, of us. I want you to notice that, that little phrase at the end of verse 14. By us in every place. God ultimately is the one who saves someone. I know that. And sometimes I think we get critics who say, well, you know, we don't have to do, we don't have anything to do with it. Nothing to do with it. God has everything to do with it. We have nothing to do. And I understand that and I agree with that. I do. I know God is the one who saves, but Somehow he uses us in his plan. Somehow we fit into that plan of God saving folks. God has allowed us to be a part of that. And that's what he says here. He maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Somehow. Can you believe it? Somehow God has decided that he wants to do the work of salvation by us and through us. Now... Sometimes we can let our theology here, if we're not careful. And I know we always in a crowd this size, there's going to be some theologians. And some will allow their theology to block them from their responsibility to be used of God in getting out the good news. Sometimes this can be phrased as a word that has become some, somewhat popular in, in what's called Calvinism. And, 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 and there's a doctrine that, seems to, that we seem to be afraid of uh, because of the fact that uh, there is uh, an understanding, a greater understanding in Scripture that God knows uh, before the foundations of the world who is going to be saved. But that does not exclude your responsibility and my responsibility to get the gospel out because I don't know who's going to get saved. Amen. And so I'm not going to let anybody's theology or one little word or some sort of take me away from what the Word of God says. And yet I'm also going to face the fact that I understand that that theology has some scriptural foundation. And so again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, I think we do need to be careful that we don't say too much. Amen? Sometimes I think we, we're guilty of just saying way too much. I heard someone say it like this, and I really like this phrase. They said, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise it. Amen? You know, don't, don't hurt someone. Don't, 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 don't uh, cram it down their throats. <laughs> don't, 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 don't say so much that you hurt their opportunity of coming to know Christ. But we also want to be careful not to say too little. And sometimes that happens because of the fear of saying the wrong thing. Let me just give you this thought here in Scripture. We'll see it. Kind of a sub-point here, and that is this. That as we witness, we must remember that some, some will receive our witness and be saved, and others will reject our witness and perish. 
Some will receive our witness and be saved. Others will reject it and perish. I want you to notice, if you would please, in verse number 15 of our text where it says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved. Amen. Hey, boy, thank God for the ones that are ripe for salvation. You know, like a red apple, right? I mean, just ready, ready to eat. I mean, it's ready to pick off that tree. That is a, that is a person who, who, when we witness to them, they're like, oh my, that is awesome. I can't believe, you mean, so, so you mean God loves me and God will accept me just like I am? That's incredible. Anybody ever have somebody like that? I have. I've witnessed to people that, that, that are just ready to be saved. I mean, they're just, they're on the edge of their seat. They, they're like, this, that was me. On September the 1st, 1978, hey, bro, I ran down the aisle. I was as red as a red apple can get. I was pumped. I was excited. I was so excited, I got baptized right after. Amen. Yeah. Wasn't ashamed at all. They looked at me and said, well, you know, your next step is baptism. I said, well, I've already been baptized. I, I was sprinkled as a baby. They said, oh, no, no, that's not scriptural baptism. I said, then what is? They said, scriptural baptism is by immersion. I said, well, then I'm in. When? When can I do it? When's the first available opportunity? I was so excited to be saved. I needed Jesus, and I knew that I needed Jesus. But how many of you ever talked to somebody who's not so excited about that? Look at verse number 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Wow. Anybody ever had the door slammed in their face? Anybody ever had a track torn up in front of your face? Anybody? It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. If you love people, it hurts. That rejection. A lot of people just don't share the gospel for fear of rejection. Fear of that one who will say, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Get out of my face. Shut your pie uh, hole, whatever they call that mouth, you know. Shut it up. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Get off my doorstep. Don't talk to me anymore. You're... I've had it. I've had beer. Uh, uh, remember, knocked on the door one time. I had a whole glass of beer just thrown on me, just right at the doorstep. Just for telling somebody that Jesus loved them. What am I saying? I'm saying that sometimes people are ripe for the gospel and sometimes people aren't so ripe for the gospel. What makes people ripe for the gospel? I find that most of the time it's circumstances. Things that are going on in their life that make a person ripe for the gospel. You talk to most people that that come to know Christ. Not all, but most will say, man, I was just going down a road towards nowhere. I was in jail. I ended up, you know, my life was messed up. I lost my family. Many times we hear those words prior to someone accepting Christ as their Savior. We we see that a lot even in our own uh, church, in our congregation. I was thinking this morning in my office of person after person after person who has been saved since the beginning of our church, and God brought them, drew them in during a time in their life when they were going through a really hard time. And so some will reject our witness and be saved. Some will uh, rather receive our witness and be saved. Some will reject our witness and perish. Both are true. So look at verse 15 and 16 again with me. Would you do that? And really pay attention. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other's savor of life unto life. Now, don't miss this. Because if you're not willing to be an aroma of death to those that are perishing, that you're not going to be able to be an aroma 
of life to those who are being saved. You see, folks, if you're going to witness to people, get ready for rejection. And it hurts. It's painful. It's tough sometimes to be rejected. But we've got to go. And we have a responsibility. And though we already know ahead of time that God has told us that that some are going to choose death. Some are going to choose to reject the gospel. Some are just not going to be saved. And that's going to hurt. And if you love people, that's going to be tough. But there's going to be others that accept the gospel. And that trust Christ as their Savior. And that get saved. And the Bible says in verse number uh, uh, 16, at the very end of that verse, notice it says, And who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient? I mean, it's just, it is tough. It's a painful thing. And so many Christians have become sadly silent for Jesus because of the pain of rejection. Many people have not witnessed to anyone in years, maybe ever, for fear that someone will say no. So what do we do? We hide it under a bushel. We take our light and we turn it off for fear of rejection. God's work of salvation requires a witness. And if our light is off, we've got to get it on. We've got to face that aroma sometimes of death. We are going to stink to some people. Some people are going to hate us. Some people are going to reject us. Some people are going to revile us. More and more as we see the second coming of Christ approaching, there's going to be more haters out there. But thank God for the ones that look at us as an aroma, a sweet fragrance of life. Amen. And our responsibility is to work through that rejection and realize that some are going to reject Christ and perish, but others, thank God, are going to receive Christ and be saved. Look at verse number 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a really cool verse. In fact, let's go ahead. Let me look, if you would, please, at... At at verse number 16, again, the last part of verse 16 where it says, And who is sufficient for these things? And then look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient. Isn't this cool? Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is who? It's of God. Isn't that good? We're not sufficient. We can't do this by ourselves. We must be dependent upon God. Why? Because he does the saving. God does the saving. But somehow, he uses me. He uses you. He wants to as a human instrument. So what do we do? What's the key to all this? How do we overcome this fear of rejection? Why is it that so many of us are silent when it comes to witnessing? We come to church on Sundays. We walk out of the building. We're always back next Sunday, or for the most part, we're back. But we're not spending any time during the week sharing the gospel. We heard about the little card that we get a chance to pass out. And, you know, that's fine, but it's just not for me. We've got the track rack out there, but it's been weeks, maybe months, maybe years since we've grabbed a track. We've got opportunities to share the gospel with our neighbors, but our neighbors have lived there for 10 years, and we've never knocked on their door and shared the love of Christ. Why is that? What's the missing ingredient? Number two, God's work of salvation requires a bold witness. It's boldness. The missing ingredient is boldness. It's the one word throughout the entire New Testament that describes or summarizes our entire responsibility and that eternal life and death issue. And that is this. One word and one word only. Church, listen. It takes boldness. It just does. That's the word. That's the key word in the New Testament. This must become 
a room full of people who are committed to not just the powerful preaching of God's word, not just the, the, the passionate worship of God's son, not, not just the fervent prayer of God's people, but everybody in this room must be committed to being a bold witness for Jesus Christ. A bold witness. In other words, we can't just come to church and hear preaching and worship the Lord and pray. No, we leave this place ready to tell the world that Jesus Christ died for their sins. We'll be rejected by some. We will. And they will perish. But thank God, some will receive Christ and be saved. The bold witness of every believer. Now, you're in Acts chapter 4, right? Are you there? Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. And I want you to look at Acts 4. I don't think we'll be coming back to 2 Corinthians, so you can go ahead and lose your spot there and go to Acts chapter 4. Now, while you're turning there, listen to this. Boldness is mentioned 42 times in the New Testament. How many of you think that if something is mentioned 42 times in the New Testament, there's got to be something to it? You with me? 42 times, 42 mentions of the word boldness or a word that means boldness in the New Testament. Now, before I give you what boldness is, let me tell you what it is not. Are you ready? And you'll be so relieved by this. You're going to be like, wow, it's not? Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I think it's good to know what boldness is because you know what some people think it is? They think it's a loud witness. Boldness is not a loud witness. Sometimes it could be. Sometimes it may need to be, but very rarely would it need to be a loud witness. Boldness is not a pushy witness. Boldness is not an obnoxious witness. Boldness is not a rude witness. It's not those things. And I want to just confess to you that I would not have called what was, what was taught to me about sharing the gospel, I would not have called it at the time as loud, pushy, obnoxious, or rude, but can I tell you what I've come to learn that it was? Those things. I wouldn't have called it that. Pride, right? And I'm right. But can I be honest with you? (laughs) The truth of the matter is the reason why so many people prayed a prayer but never came to church or got baptized because we were so pushy but never came back is because we had a false understanding of what boldness was. Boldness is not these things. Boldness is simple. It's direct. It's sincere statement of truth about Jesus Christ. That's what boldness is. That's the definition, the real definition, the biblical definition. It is simple, it's direct, it's sincere. I mean, it's like, did you know that Jesus Christ loves you? Listen, I know you're hurting. I know you're hurting. But you've got to know that God loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. And Jesus Christ wants to save you. And I'd love to tell you about that. Would you let me tell you about how Jesus Christ loves you? You know what I was told about that? That, that? that approach is for sissies. You know, that approach, you know, get up in their grill and get up in their face. Let me tell you something. That's not the kind of boldness that's going to turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. Boldness is loving people to Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. I'm going to show you a few verses so you can see it for yourselves on the screen. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, boldly. That word openly just simply is another word that means he spoke it openly. He spoke it clearly. He spoke that, the gospel, very plainly, very boldly. 
John 7, verse 25 and 26. Here's another one for you. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly. And they say nothing to him. He speaketh boldly. He speaketh openly. He speaketh plainly. Here's just a few of the times that this is mentioned in, in Scripture. John's, uh, uh, rather, Acts chapter 11, 4, I'm sorry, verses 1. Look at Acts 4, verse 1. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to see this. This is awesome. And I, I, I pray that God will really use this passage to stir our hearts. This is my hope today. If you're, if you're dozing off, wake yourself up. If you're not interested thus far, would you become interested in the next 13 verses? I see a few yawners out there, all right? I, I usually try to stay excited, but I, I need your help too. So would you look with me at these scriptures and, and pay attention? And they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, Acts chapter 4, and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved. Question, you think these Sadducees and Pharisees were red apples or green apples? green apples. They were not ripe for the gospel, okay? They were upset that people were getting saved. They were ticked that, that these people were spreading this religious, you know, that, what they thought was religious. They were the ones that were religious. And they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I love it. Verse 3, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Verse 4, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. Amen. Do you see it? Many rejected, yes, but many heard the word and believed. Okay, you didn't get too excited there, so let me give you a second chance. You ready? Hold on. No, no, no. Look, let's read the rest of it. And many heard the word and believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Okay, I got a few more. I mean, 5,000 people got saved. Yippee! That's something to cheer about, you know? And it came to pass the morrow that... Their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John. That goes through this list of folks. Look at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Time for boldness. I'm feeling a little boldness coming on right about now. I love it. Peter said, if we this day be examined of the good deed done, verse 9, to this impotent man, by what means is he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone, Jesus. This is Jesus, which was set at, at naught uh, of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither... Is there salvation in any other? For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Look at verse 13. And when they saw the boldness, openness, the directness, the, the, just the plain teaching of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Amen. You know, what, you know what boldness is? Boldness is something that comes out of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Boldness is something that comes out of your... Per- Maybe the reason why we aren't real bold about the gospel is we don't have a good relationship with Jesus. We really don't. It's not that we're just not bold. It's not that we're... We just don't... We, it's not in us. We just, we, we're not walking with the Lord. We're not spending time in prayer. We're not spending time in His Word. You see, what these men noticed, they were so bold because they had been with Jesus. 
And as your love for Christ goes up, your desire to tell others about him goes up. Amen. Hey, listen, little love for Christ, little desire to tell others. Much love for Christ, much desire to tell others. Look at verse 14 of of Acts chapter 4. You're there, and we can continue in this text. It's so good. I love it. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them, verse 15, to go aside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? Look at verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus or else. Don't do that, guys. Don't you teach and preach in the name of Jesus. Here's their response. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. I love that sarcasm there. You know. Okay, you're giving us a choice. We're either going to listen to you or we're going to listen to God. Duh. I think they're going to go with God, don't you? Look what they did in verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Church, do we feel that way? Do we? Do we feel that way after we leave church on Sundays and experience this? Do we feel that way? You see, when a church gets a hold of Jesus Christ in such a way that he alters the fabric of their being, they talk about Jesus. There is no way to be silent. It's impossible. It's impossible to be silent. I mean, when I'm up there sitting on that little couch in a video and I'm holding up these friend things and and these cards, I mean, a church that's on fire is like, that is so cool. Brother Charlie, where can I get those? I'm so pumped about What are you so so pumped about? Well, it's friend day, right? I mean, I can take these and pass them out, right? This is awesome. Where do you get those things? A lot of us are going to get to our cars, drive off, and somebody on the way home is going to say, anybody getting those friend day things? And here's why you forgot. You're not passionate about Jesus. You don't have a personal relationship like you should. And so guess what? We're okay with coming to church and sitting with other saved people. But the fewer sinners the better we are. We're just comfortable. We're comfortable sitting here just enjoying our little church the way we want it. And if it's not the way we want it, we'll go find another church the way we want it until we find out that's not the way we want it. We'll go find another church the way we want it. And we're just selfish. You know what I found? People that share the gospel in their local church, they stay forever. They're just so pumped about sharing the gospel. They don't want to go anywhere. They just want to bring people to Jesus. Are you getting this now? See, I'm just, I I say this out of love. This is something that I know God wants me to share. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Look at it. And we'll finish this right now as far as this, this passage, and then I'll close the message. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. By stretching forth that hand to heal, and the signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. Wow. I think that means the glory came down, don't you? And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Yep, it came down. And what happened after they were filled with the Holy Ghost? Look, 
They spake the word of God with boldness. Not inside the church. That was when they left. That was outside the church. That is a force that cannot be stopped. A church full of people that are on fire for Jesus and bold about the gospel. Oh, get ready. An explosion's about to take place at that church. It's going to be awesome. There's a lot of things the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly. We've learned that over the last few months and years, haven't we? For instance, the Bible doesn't tell us what style of music we should play in church. Can I get an amen right there? And, and if it does, I, I want you to show me. Nowhere in Scripture have I found in the past five years of trying to study music and find out where God would have us to be, I don't find anywhere in Scripture where God says, this is the kind of music, this is the style of music I want you to play in church. The Bible's not explicit about that. The Bible doesn't tell us what order of service we should have or how often we should meet. It doesn't tell us specifically how, how, how should we take the offering in the beginning of the service, at the end of the service. If we were to ever get a kiosk in the, in the lobby and, and, and you could give over the little kiosk. The Bible doesn't say that's wrong. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us how the offering should be taken or what we should wear. I think you guys look great. Some are wearing suits, some are wearing t-shirts, some are wearing blue jeans, some are wearing... You, you, to me, you all look great. I'm just glad you're here. I could care less, really. I mean, I'm just glad you're wearing something. The Bible doesn't tell us what we should wear. The Bible doesn't specify any of those things in Scripture. But the Bible does say we should speak boldly the message of Christ. It does say that. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, As for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Boldly. God doesn't want us to be sneaky with Jesus. God doesn't want us to be clever with Jesus. God doesn't want us to be subtle with Jesus. God wants us to open our mouths boldly. That's when the glory comes down. Now, what are some some reasons people don't share the gospel? I'll give you these quickly and just read the scriptures. Number one, they are not sure of the message. They're not sure of the message. Matthew chapter 10 In verse number 19 and 20. The Bible says, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not yet that ye speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Guess what, church? God will give you the words to say. Amen? So so if you are not giving the gospel out because... I just don't know what I'd say. Don't worry about it. You mean, actually, I just talk about Jesus and he gives me the words? You see that? That's kind of living by faith. Amen? Share the gospel. Just tell somebody what Jesus did in your life. They are not living it personally, number two. Some people don't share the gospel because they're not living it personally. Philemon chapter 1 and and, and verse 6, or Philemon 6, I should say. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual, listen, by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. You see, when you live the life of a Christian, when you're living the gospel, when you're living the, the kind of Christian life, the personal relationship with Jesus Christ... A bold witness is just an overflow of that. Number three, they are not ready to answer questions. 1 Peter 3.15, 
It says, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. We ought to be ready to give an answer. Number four, they're not willing to face rejection. We talked about that, right? Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you and men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. There's going to be rejection. You need to be ready to stink in the nostrils of some people because sometimes, Dave, our witness stinks to some people. They hate us. They're, they're going to spit on us. Some of them are going to push us eventually. It's going to get a little hostile out there. But there's going to be some that receive Jesus. We just got to witness. And then number five, we are not facing their true condition. We are not facing their true condition. Galatians 4, 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Question. Do you know what it's like to bear that burden? I mean, literally, people are dying and going to hell. Does that affect you at all? Does it bother you? Do you know that somebody that is without Christ, do you understand their true condition? If we did, maybe we witness more. You know, I, I heard a song this week. I want to share it with you. The words to the song, I put them on the screen before we play it in closing. Man, I found it this week. It was so crazy. I was praying about the message, and, and God just, I won't tell you the story how God gave me the song, but it was just so miraculous. And it's called, Let It Start With Me. And the words are, in the streets of every village, every city's soaring tower, empty people live in darkness every minute, every hour. Hear the cry of desperation from a billion broken hearts. With the need so great, where do we even start? Let it start with me. Open up my eyes. Fill my heart with your compassion. Free my mind from all distractions. Use my hands to set the captive free. Move my feet to follow after you, Lord. Change the world and let it start with me. You've given us the orders. There's a place for everyone. I don't want to miss my mission in the plan that you've begun. You have promised to go with me to the edges of it all and change everything that keeps me from your call. And then it says, let it start with me. Let me read you the little bridge. Take my life, all I've called my own. Everything I am is yours alone. That statement to me, that's, that's the challenge. Because if, if we do that, if we do that, June 15th is going to be amazing. Friend day is going to be awesome. If we just say, God, all I have is yours. Take my life. Take my schedule, my time. Listen to this song as this group sings it. It's pretty cool. I'll close.
I want to show you that last clip of that gentleman. I'm Sam Allen. I am a musician. My prayer has been, let it start with me. If I'm the only one who is obedient, let me be obedient. A lot of people in this room, if everybody felt that way, kind of difference would we make you know what I do I spend most of my time putting fires out I spend a lot of time in my week trying to get Christians to like other Christians I spend a lot of time in my week trying to get God's people to just get along no wonder hot springs continues to die and go to hell we just don't have time to witness because we're too busy consumed with ourselves our agendas, what we want. It's got to change. Aren't you tired of that? I'm so tired of that, it makes me want to resign. makes me want to give up. I just, I want to pastor a church of people that just want to share the gospel. Man, what about a church? I can't preach this message again. This is my only chance. Everybody that didn't come is not here. What are you going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? It's just a thought, but I think it's Bible. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Every head bowed, every eye closed.